Hey, Flow Fanatics. On this episode, I talk with creative director at Tokyo Dex, Daniel Harris Rosen, about how he found Flow his way by uniquely staying true to his passion for art while building a business, and how allowing space for spontaneity and splitting your time between spaces may be one of the keys to leading a high flow lifestyle. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Smith, and welcome to the High Flow Lifestyle Podcast. It's my privilege to be your peak performance and flow coach with this episode. Each week, you'll hear mind-blowing interviews as well as actionable tips and strategies for accessing flow for optimal human performance, heightening creativity, intuition, and productivity, and most importantly, living a healthier and happier life. Now let's dive into your next dose of practical flow training. Daniel Harris Rosen is a bilingual creative director based in Tokyo with over 25 years of experience in the Japanese art scene. Originally a visual artist himself, he is also a curator, VJ, film director, and art writer for the Japan Times and other esteemed media outlets. Daniel first formally studied art at the University of Hawaii at Manoa and went on to earn his MFA at the Tama Art University in Tokyo. Through working with internet sensation Dimpa Eshidan, he gained experience handling commercial work while also pursuing his own artistic career in contemporary art, exhibiting, and selling his artwork worldwide. After earning his PhD in fine arts from Tama Art University, he founded Tokyo Dex, a multifaceted creative agency that encompasses all of his artistic endeavors. Daniel's creative vision, extensive network in the Japanese art community, understanding of the Japanese culture and international standards of business make him a highly sought after creative director for exciting art-based projects in Tokyo and around the globe. Where was the point that you went from student to, okay, I think I want to make a career out of this? Not that we ever stop being students, but <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, I got into the arts later, a little bit later in life. Uh, mm -hmm. I did start ceramics when I was like 19, but I was never serious about it until much later. And uh, I started off as a writer. Uh, I was doing copywriting, English copywriting at an mm -hmm. advertising agency in Osaka for a while. While I was there, I went up to um, Sado Island. I don't know if you're familiar with the Earth Celebration Music Festival that yeah. happened there, but I yeah. happened upon that in the mid-90s and was really inspired by the Kodo drummers and actually ended up um, uh, touring the world with them as uh, a tour manager and interpreter and press response. Like I, I, wow. I got it. I was so inspired that I started as festival production staff and ended up like working with them. Mm. And that's one where I really, um, you know, uh, earned my colors, as they say, in arts management. And two, where I really thought, okay, this is something that I want to do that there's an expression inside of me and I'm not going to be happy working so that other people can kind of be on stage. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's when I decided to take my own artwork seriously. And I uh, went back to the States to study for a while at um, the University of Hawaii and my teacher at the University of Hawaii um, 
introduced me to a teacher at Tamabi. Um, and we met and really clicked and he appreciated what I was trying to do and um, how I felt stuck and wrote me a recommendation for the Monbukagakusho scholarship. Nice. So I ended up at Tamabi doing one year as a... Um, can you say, I guess, a research student, two years uh, doing a master's program, and then actually went on to do their PhD, um, which was right. half studio and half um, research. Uh, I had to write a thesis and all of that. Mm. Uh, but it was while I was in Tamavi that I met these other artists that were doing just incredible work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can actually, I can probably, uh, I know you do links, uh, mm-hmm. in, in the write up. So I'll send you some links, but I, I hooked up with these guys called Rimpa Eshidan mm-hmm. and we were doing early, um, kind of time-lapse art videos back in like 2006. Uh, YouTube was only a year old and mm. we were doing these fast forward kind of art motion videos bef- bef- really before anybody else or we were one of the early ones to do it for sure. And they just went viral in the early days of, of YouTube and we started getting cook gigs um, while we were still in school. And that's when I, you know, that's when, you know, the gear started turning and I was like, oh, okay, there's a need for this. Mm-hmm. Like people are excited about the artwork and, um, there's potential within the commercial realm. And, uh, one of the most tragic things for me was to be surrounded by all these incredible artists, mm-hmm. uh, who would graduate and then have to give up their artwork to make a living. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's when I thought, okay, um, there's got to be space in Japan um, for someone like me who comes from an arts management background, also, Mm -hmm. you know, studying the artwork. So I understand both sides, Um, have a bit of a business background as well, working in advertising and just kind of all these things started clicking. And I thought, okay, this is the path. This is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want to um, try to harness some of this talent and uh, help uh, one help artists get uh, work mm-hmm. uh, beyond school in, in their fields and also, um, you know, help businesses be a little bit more creative in their approach right. to things. And uh right. You know, it's it's over 10 years since then and the landscape has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I feel like we've we've built a niche here. And uh, anyway, I'm sorry. I, I, as I said, I tend to ramble on. But yeah. uh, to get back to your original question, I think it was in uh, when I was at Tamabi that I felt like, oh, OK, this is something that I can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an opportunity here. That's when I guess I started, you know, feeling that entrepreneurial spirit and got okay. excited about my current project, which is Tokyo Dex. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems so many artists have this feeling like mixing business with art is selling out and the myth of, you know, keeping the myth of the starving artist alive. But, you know, so you were forming a vision or a business plan from the beginning to incorporate your art into your business. Yeah. I mean, uh, in terms of my own artwork, um, 
you know, I was by the end, I was doing sort of uh, ceramic installation and multimedia pieces. And then uh, with the success of the videos that we were doing at Rimpa, I was doing more video work. Um, but I kind of realized um, halfway through that I was never going to be a studio artist, that um, this idea of making product and then trying to sell it in the world wasn't really who I am. I'm a much more gregarious person. I'm uh, very excited about about building teams and about collaborations. And so, um, you know, right now I'm more of an art director than an artist myself, but I also feel like the be, having the experience of doing the building and making my own artwork mm-hmm. definitely informs my process. And I feel like my process is quite creative. So I definitely feel like I'm doing uh, what I should be doing. Um, but in terms of whether... You know, this this myth of the starving artist, or I shouldn't say myth, there are definitely some starving artists. Yes, but, yes. Um, artists have always had patrons, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, art is one of those tricky things where I think it's one of the most essential things to society, but uh, the economy doesn't necessarily value it that way. So somebody's got to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, right now uh, that happens to be companies that have the money and then your art becomes part of a branding process which I know that some people are uncomfortable with but you know uh, your modern day businesses uh, are your you know your modern day de Medici's you know this idea that uh, you know there was ever artwork being created in a vacuum there were always people that you had to make happy whether it was the church or or, uh, you know um, whatever whoever the wealthy patrons (laughs) were at the time and I know that's sort of an extreme example and uh, people will take issues with that, but I don't. I don't think that doing artwork for money is selling out. I think compromising your integrity as an artist is selling out, and that's one of the things that we sort of fight for all of the time. Mm. Uh, when we talk to clients, we say, you know, they're like, "Oh, well, you know, put this over there and do that," and we're like, "Yeah, that's not the way this works. Right? This is not a design project where you're going to dictate." the finished product you've chosen an artist who you think matches your vision and your brand and now the real value is in letting that artist interpret that vision and do something original if you already know what you want on the walls if you already know have this vision of the artwork then you make it uh i come close to saying that but Mm -hmm. uh, in so many words so um yeah i think that you know why shouldn't artists get paid? Why shouldn't the artwork be valued? I think it's incredibly valued. And I think that uh, on a personal level or in a business context, uh, the artwork is in- incredibly influential and, and uh, valuable. And so we, we fight uh, for artists to, to, to get paid and to be able to continue to do what only they can do. Okay. Um, so I guess here, maybe it'd be great if you, told us a little bit more about what your business is and what your revenue streams are. So um, basically ever since the, uh, my Tamabi days, um, Tom art university days, I, I saw this um, potential for um, kind of building a bridge between uh, corporations and artists. And, uh, 
essentially um, was at the beginning just hustling for any gigs that uh, we could get. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it was, you know, live painting performances with uh, Rimpa or um, I think we were, I was super lucky that uh, through Rimpa, we, we, were, we got some commercial work right away. So we were doing, you know, live painting events and um, things like that for um, like Mini Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually did a, a McDonald's ad at one point, which is not my finest moment, but it's a pretty <laughs> cool ad. Uh, and so we already had a portfolio upon graduation of these different um, things that we had done. And in the early days, it was, um, you know, pitching for events and um, a bit of like party deco and that kind of thing. And then uh, about five, six years ago, uh, we had an opportunity. I had an opportunity to curate um, uh, the CBRE office. Um, Mm -hmm. CBRE is an American um, real real estate company. Yeah. And uh, they really wanted to do something bold. And we brought in uh, three artists and uh, three different groups uh, to do uh, these. And I can send you links to this as well, but um, really bold artwork on the walls. And nice. uh, it became a, uh, uh, it made a bit of a stir both within the company and outside. And mm-hmm. we realized like how powerful the artwork could be in terms of motivating uh, starting discussions, um, and, uh, changing brand image and all of those things. And, uh, really from there, because CBRE is in the industry, then everybody who was coming in after that to see the artwork were also architects or they were builders. Mm. Or, so we started to get a lot of uh, work from that. So, um, slowly but surely, uh, the, our main source of revenue became, um, office art work. Uh, and I think we've probably done more murals in uh, Tokyo than any other single company. And wow. the connection to the artist network that we have both through my coming up through uh, art school here and also mm-hmm. just all the people that we've met along the way um, has really helped us build that network. And I think build the trust because we're not we're not, a you know, we call ourselves an art agency, but we're not like an advertising agency. We're not one of these. Um, mm-hmm. well, I don't want to speak ill of advertising agencies, but I think sometimes people don't know how to speak to artists. They don't know um, how to make sure that, you know, basically you the, the artist vision has to be um, pure. It has to be upheld right. um, for the end result to be good. Um, so it's that balance between how do we make the client happy and how do we make the artist happy that we kind of struggle with all the time. But yeah, I was wondering, go ahead. Sorry. I I was wondering how much input, um, you allow, I guess the, the client to have, like, do they want to see a final rendering before it goes on the wall? I mean, are they, you know, I guess every case is probably different, but like you said, dealing with artists and I mean, it could be a lot of back and forth struggles. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. That's a, that's a, um, a very, uh, intuitive question. Um, especially with Japanese clients who um, a lot of times are afraid to let go uh, and they want to see everything ahead of time. And um, not just Japanese clients though, but uh, everybody to a certain degree. And so it's this kind of dance between, well, we can show you 
um, you know, the, the uh, rendering ahead of time, the proposal ahead of time, but you have to understand that it's going to be different when it goes on the walls. Mm. And that's a great thing because right. otherwise, you know, um, we could just print wallpaper for you. It's uh, we're building, you know, the, the artist is actually creating an original work of art on site mm -hmm. and that's going to come, you know, different inspirations are going to come from the space itself and, you know, uh, the vibe and like, getting, right. you know, you can make, put something on a two dimensional piece of paper, but then it comes to life uh, in 3d. And so uh, it's, convincing people that to let go to a certain extent and right. then it's also matchups you know we have certain clients that we know are not going to give us much leeway there and so then we deal with artists who also work digitally so mm -hmm. they can give a better idea of what it's going to look like ahead of time and we get okay. approval um and then for other art for other clients that are like uh look you guys are the pros we want to talk to you about color. We want to talk to you about themes, but otherwise we're going to let you go for it. Cause, uh, we think that's the best way to get the best results. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen, happen often, <laughs> but it does happen sometimes. And, uh, yeah, I've kind of, you know, we've made all the mistakes. We've had all the arguments. So we've yeah. gotten to a point where we know how to prep the, uh, clients for, for what they can expect to manage their expectations. And we also know how to, you know, talk to the artists about how, what at what point are do you feel like you're sacrificing your integrity like how much mm -hmm. input are you willing to take and some artists uh, approach it from oh yeah i'd love to hear what the client has to say and i'd love right. to incorporate ideas so okay. it is a case-by-case -case thing i just wanted to take a second to mention to you that if you're finding the show interesting and inspiring please make sure to head over to the website highflowlifestyle.com where you can get free access to my weekly flow hacks for optimal human performance and happiness get high flow lifestyle boosts weekly in your inbox and get new strategies on how to access flow be more creative and productive reach your peak performance and most of all live a happier and healthy life now back to the show what do you do for stress relief uh that's yeah, a really good question uh i try to meditate every day if i can mm -hmm. uh and i think having um having the high ama space in my life has been super key just going and looking at the ocean i find to be one of the most calming things mm -hmm. in my life for sure now, when you say you split your time, is that half a year there, half a year here, or is it back and forth? Uh, no, I, uh, I share a house in Hayama with some friends and um, would basically spend as much time as I possibly could there, especially mm -hmm. in the summer. Um, but I'm also working in the city, of course, uh, and I love Tokyo as well. So I'm, I'm back and forth. It could be like a three-day, four-day split or... Uh, something like that. Great. Dan, with you being both a creative and an entrepreneur, do you have any interesting book recommendations for our flow fanatics out there? There's a book called uh, The Tools. Um, and it was uh, written by um, two um, psychoanalysts, I guess, uh, called uh, Phil Stutz and uh, Barry uh, Mitchells. And um, 
You know, I, I've definitely read some of the business books that are like, this is how you approach, this is how you should approach business. This is how, uh, you know, you run a small business, nuts and bolts kind of things. But I feel like you can get that information anywhere. And, uh, the real hard work, um, in, in, you know, like being a leader and in running a business, I think comes from the, you know, the internal work, like combating anxiety and, uh, learning to, get unstuck and mm-hmm. perhaps control anger. And, uh, these are the things that this book really deals with in, in a, in a way that definitely draws upon the spiritual, you know, like sort of talking about, um, you know, really going deep internally and, and working through some of our things, but then actually giving, uh, real tools, um, mm-hmm like practices, things that you can put into practice to um, make changes. And I found that book to be just the right sort of combination of um, practical and spiritual. Great. Uh, And uh, I, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard that one. I'll have to check that out. It's actually, it was a New York Times bestseller, but when I found that out, I was quite surprised because at the time I had never heard of it either. Mm, okay. What advice would you give to someone wanting to start their own small business? Um, I think you have to, uh, one, you have to decide if it's really what you want to do. Um, I think when you have your own business, uh, there's literally no end to the work that you could be doing. Mm. Um, so there's the day to day that you have to do to get work done. And then there's, um, if you're working with other people, there's managing people, uh, and communication, and then there's development and thinking ahead and, um, accounting and everything else that goes along with it. So, uh, there are definitely easier ways to make a living. So Mm -hmm. the first thing you should decide is like lifestyle. Is there, is this something you really want to do? Um, and if your passion, if you're passionate about what you do, I think that, uh, you don't really have a choice Mm -hmm. because you wouldn't be happy anywhere else. Uh, and the other thing I would say, once you decided that this is really what you want to do, uh, and I think it kind of, for a lot of entrepreneurs, it chooses you rather than you choosing it. Um, but for me personally, like my community has been the most valuable resource in what I do. So, um, you have to get out there. You have to build the, the, um, relationships and you have to let people know what you're up to. And Mm -hmm. that's to me, like the most important thing I've tried to become so many people have helped me along the way that I've tried to become more available as well to other people. Last year we were so busy and people would say, can I ask you about what you're doing and uh, I need some advice. And I would just be like, I'm sorry, I just can't. And this Mm -hmm. year I'm really trying to give back a little bit in that way. Um, If somebody's like, you know, how do I get a visa? How do I start a company? How do I do these things? I'm really Mm -hmm. trying to be available for that um, because we all have to help each other and, so many people, as I said, have helped me along the way that, um, yeah, go out and develop, um, develop, uh, an interesting community, get out there, get to events, get to talks and, and, uh, let people know what you're up to. I think that's probably the most important thing. Where do you think the inspiration or the creativity comes from to spark that, um, wanting to get your own hands dirty? Um, 
honestly, this year, it's uh, just about having time. Um, you know, I, it isn't really time. It's also mental space. Mm. I think last year, uh, last year was our biggest year ever. And I was leading up a, a large project and it was, it took up all of my mind space so that if I did have a weekend free, I was, uh, drinking with friends or sitting in front of mm-hmm. the television watching. Decompressing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was not like, okay, I've got a day free now. I'm going to go build something. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year, um, it's been a struggle for all of us on several levels. I know, but um, it's also been a forced pause that I definitely needed to um, recenter and um, to reevaluate personal goals um, Mm -hmm. and potentially find a better work-life balance, I hope. I hope that stays with me when things pick up again, as I know Mm -hmm. that they will. But uh, it was just a feeling that, you know, it was on my mind for a long time. This was something that I wanted to do. And then this year it was finally like, oh, I actually, like I could actually see myself doing it. I could visualize it. Mm -hmm. And that's always key for me. If I can see it, I feel like I can create it. And when you can't see it and it just doesn't make sense intuitively, it's very hard to create anything. And so that's, I think that's the main factor is just feeling like I can Mm -hmm. this year. Thanks for listening to another episode. And if you enjoyed the show, please stop by Apple Podcasts and review and subscribe so you don't ever miss an episode. And help us spread the importance of leading a high flow lifestyle by telling a friend and sharing on social media. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Now go put some of this flow state training to work and live your life to its fullest. And I'll see you shortly on the next episode or inside the community at highflowlifestyle.com. Mm-hmm.